I was mentioning to the elders back in the prayer room when we met to pray this morning that today I want to deliver a message on a topic that I haven't brought about. Somebody had died out and a new generation has come along, so it's a good idea for me to bring this message. As I was preparing for this, I looked at a number of books and commentaries to see what other people had said about our topic. And I discovered that there's very little talked about as to what humility is. There's much more said about what it is not. Passage in the book of Proverbs, for example, says, Pride goes before destruction, but a haughty spirit goes before a fall. So we get an idea of what we should be because of what those things say. I don't want to be prideful. I want to have a bad attitude because one leads to a fall, the other leads to complete destruction. So we want to avoid that. And how do we know if we're walking in humility or not? So that's what we want to pursue today for a few minutes and see what the scriptures say about that topic about what humility is and how do we get it? How do we walk in it? Now, as I was considering this, I was thinking also to myself, why haven't pastors and teachers talked about this very much? And I think one of the major reasons is that lots of times we don't feel like we're worthy to to talk about it. You know, if... If you're really overweight, you don't really talk much about losing weight and a good diet and things like that. You kind of avoid that, you know. Perhaps many of us are not talking about being humble and what humility is and what it does for that very reason. But being the person that I am, we're going to tackle it today. We'll look at some of the promises of the Word of God first. For example, Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite or humble spirit, and who trembles at my word. God said through the prophet Isaiah, I'm going to look after the one who is contrite or humble in spirit and who gives attention, obeys, trembles at my word. That gets God's attention. So if you want God's attention, we need to be humble. Right? From that passage. He said, I look on him who is poor and of a humble spirit. Psalm 138 verse 6 says, Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Again, God regards those who are humble and those who are proud, he knows them from afar. In other words, he's not as actively involved in them because of their pride. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. 
Now, notice something about that verse. See, sometimes we perhaps are waiting for God to humble us, and he can do that, but he much prefers not to have to do that. He much prefers that we would make a choice, make a decision, make a commitment to humble ourselves. Actually, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and then he could can exalt you in due season or at the right time. It's up to us if we'll be humble or not. James chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Again, it's our choice. It's our commitment. It's us deciding we want to have the right attitude before the Lord. We want to humble ourselves before the Lord. Now, Micah 6, 8, another good, well-known passage says, What does God require out of us? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's what God required out of the Israelites. That's what God requires out of us. If we are to make spiritual progression like he desires, if we are to come into a place of greater manifestations of power, it's going to require a greater degree of humility. We humble ourselves, and then he does something. Two passages. We humble ourselves, and then he lifts up. So if we want to progress spiritually, if we want to come into greater manifestation of supernatural power, and I think every Christian would really like that, about 12 of you would. We're going to give an altar call for the rest of you in a minute. If we really want that, then it's going to require that we have the right attitude. You know, one reason sometimes that God can't do what we really want him to do is because if he did it, we would misuse it. If, if God really did, if he really used us the way we, we would like for him to, he, he probably can't to the degree he wants to because we might misuse it. In the latter part of his life, came a friend of Dr. Summerall, Lester Summerall, back in the 90s. I taught in his Bible college. I flew with him on his jet a few times and went with him when he gave talks to congregation and he and I would converse and talk about his college and all that stuff while we were traveling. And he would often tell the story, and he did when he was at this church, about how God spoke to him when he was 75 years old in the city of Jerusalem and told him to start the Feed the Hungry program from pastor to pastor, church to church, and all of that, which New Life Church particularly. And he asked the Lord, said, Lord, I'm 75 years old. Why are you telling me to start this now? I'm an old man. And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, I have just now gotten you in the place where I can use you. <laughs> 75 years old. Been ministering the word since a late teenager. 
I said, I've just now gotten you into place where I can trust you with this, where I can use you, and you'll follow my direction, my leadership. I fear that too many of us, that may be true about the attitude of humility. One reason God can't do is if God used us dramatically, powerfully, we would think we did something. And you know, that's a sign of a light of humility. When we believe that any good thing that happens in our life, we're the doer of it. True humility says, it's all of God and none of me. John the Baptist said, in talking about Jesus in John chapter 1, he said, he, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Now, that, he was one of the most powerful men as the Old Testament had come to a close and the New Covenant was about to come into manifestation. John was. And he recognized that it's all about Jesus and not about John anymore. That's humility. Let me give you five things that we can use to define what humility is. First, it means to be small in your own eyes. Small in your own eyes. First Samuel fifteen seventeen. So Samuel, that is Samuel the prophet, said to Saul, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? At this time, when Samuel spoke to him, he'd had many victories. He'd fought many battles. He'd had many victories. And he was getting kind of puffed up, thinking he was something special. And so God sent the prophet who laid his finger on the king's nose. And folks, that took some guts and courage. And said, when you were little in your own eyes, when you were humble in your own sight, then the Lord anointed you as king over Israel. So if we are to be humble, that means that if anything good happening, God is the doer of it. We have to recognize that. And really get a hold of that truth. God uses people for his glory, not ours. He uses people for his glory, not ours. It's not how much you know, how many degrees you got, how long you've lived, or what family you come from. It's who's king of kings and who's lord of lords. That's it. That's it. Everything else is beside the point. Now, lest we mistake what I'm saying, humility is not the denial of what God has given you or put in you. It is believing in our hearts that our best qualities are not good enough to deserve God's attention. In other words, in the New Testament, you know Jesus, you belong to him. He's made you righteous. You have not made yourself righteous. You cannot brag of your righteousness, but you can certainly brag about his righteousness that he's given to you. That's not pride. But it's when we believe, we act as if we are something apart from God. That's one of the reasons I don't watch much Christian TV. 
I got tired of listening to people talk as if they were important. Do you know there's no rock stars in the kingdom of God? There are no rock stars in the kingdom of God. They should be humble servants in the kingdom of God who realize that they may fly in jets, they may live in mansions, but it's the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is the doer of every good thing. There's no rock stars in the kingdom of God. So we're not saying that you have to walk on yourself in the sense of saying, oh, poor is me. No, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You are to declare those attributes that the word of God says he has given to you. And it's not proud to, uh, or boastful to do that. But at the same time, we have to realize that none of us deserve any good thing from God. Number two, humble people know that it's not their physical strength nor intelligence nor luck, but the Lord who determines the outcome. Scripture, one, uh, Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In other words, are we supposed to obey God in some things? Absolutely. But when you and I obey God in things and do what the word requires out of us and God does something fantastic, he is to get the praise, honor, and the glory for all of it. Actually, when God answers your prayer and my prayer, that is not finished until you come back to God and say, God, thank you for doing that. Because if it was answered, he was the doer of it. Third, humble people put their confidence in the mercy of God rather than anything else. So, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 15 and 16 says, For he says to Moses, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome, For I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. The fact that you and I are believers today is because of the mercy of God. The grace and mercy of God. It's because of the love of God. It's because of every good thing that is in God that he was willing to share with us and on our behalf. That's what it's about. And so to walk in humility is to walk with the realization, apart from the mercy of God, no, nothing good is going to happen. And the American church needs to get this. Let me say it again. I said the American church needs to get this. I sense in our day that we are a boastful people. We are an arrogant people. We sometimes have attitudes of superiority as if we were something special. The only reason we're something special is we're a child of the king. And if it weren't for him, we wouldn't be that. Right? Number four, humble people are willing to associate with and serve people of lower position. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor or brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. We can tell if we really are walking in humility when we're willing to be a servant instead of desiring to be served. You know, I think that's one reason that Jesus taught his disciples a lesson in John chapter 13 and took a pail of water 
and a towel and got down and washed their feet. I think it was not just because they were living in, in sandy, dirty areas and they got their feet dirty. No, that wasn't the reason. He was teaching a lesson of having humility or a desire to be a servant when he himself, they should have been washing his as Savior and Lord, got down in front of his disciples and washed their feet and then said to them, what you've seen me do, you ought to do. In other words, we should serve one another. True humility will demand that we associate with and serve people of lower position. And number five, we ought to follow Jesus' example. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 says, Let this man be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus is part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's King of kings, he's Lord of lords. But what did he do for us? He made himself of no reputation, humility, took the form of a bondservant, came in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We ought to follow his example of being a servant who is humble. You know, that's the type of servants God uses. Let me say that again. The type of servants that God uses are those servants who humble themselves and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's who God uses. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, given him the name that's above every name, that is the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus humbled himself, he was now qualified to be exalted. If we have that same attitude, humble yourself in the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due season or at the right time. Know this, sometimes God's time and our time are not in agreement. Well, I think it would be time for you, Lord, to do X, Y, Z. But maybe he knows some things that we don't. Maybe he knows, like he said to Dr. Summerall, I just now got you in a place where I can use you. We don't like to hear that, do we? Well, how do we get humility? Well, submission to the Lordship of Christ is how we get it. Jesus, your Lord. Jesus, you are Lord of our life, every area of our life. You are Lord, Jesus. We look at you as being Lord. We look at you as being the only one that can Lead us, guide us, just like you're the only one that can save us, fill us with the Holy Spirit, heal our bodies, give us protection 
the attacks of the enemy. And he is the only one that can do those things. There are no others. Then you're the one that we recognize in each and all of our circumstances. With that attitude, then we are submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And may I suggest that that is a continual need in all of us. I recognize that in myself continually. If God is not involved, I've chosen I don't want to be involved. Like Moses, Lord, if you're not going with us, don't send me. If you're not going with us, Lord, I don't want to go down to Egypt. I don't want to go and be your mouthpiece. If you're not with us, God says, I'll be with you. Now you go. And he was. Number two, how do we get humility? Passing through the desert. I don't know about you. I don't like what the connotation and the word picture I get when I think of a desert. Do you know some of the greatest people in the Bible went through the desert? Moses, David, Jesus, John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, and the list goes on. And what do you mean by the desert? A desert place is not that where God send you to beat up on you and put things on you that he's already redeemed you from. That's not the desert. All right, that's not the desert we're talking about. The desert we're talking about are those times of aloneness that God either brings or allows in our life so that we realize that nothing else we've been trusting in, we can no longer trust in those things. When you've tried everything to extract yourself from the desert and it's not working, it's a time to give up and say, Lord, it's all yours. We, all, we submit all to you. It means aloneness with God so that we'll know that we can trust him. Now, the Israelites got pretty proud of themselves. Moses tells us in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, he had an explanation for them about why they were where they were. It says this, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he would make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Now, See, God had already spoken to them about how they were to walk humbly according to his word, how they were to obey it. They did not obey it. And during those times of disobedience, God would either, A, have to lift his hand off of them and allow them to be defeated, or he allowed them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, that was never in the original plan of God. Well, let's see what I can do with these Israelites. After I get them through uh, the Red Sea, I'll just put them out in the wilderness for about 40 years and 
and let one generation die off and then some of the better ones I'll take on in. That was not originally his plan. His plan was for them to obey him, go from Egypt to the promised land in a matter of a few weeks. But because of their disobedience, 40 years went by. Now, look what he did. What our text says. It came to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna. Stop there a minute. You know what manna is? According to Psalm 78, 25, and 26, manna was angel food. It was angel food. Well, wait a minute. God said, obey me, obey my word, And you know, the sky was the limit. But when they didn't do that, they started hungering and thirsting for the onion of garlic of Egypt. Now, I kind of think, knowing me, if I had been in the place of God there, I would not have given them angel food. But even though they were so disobedient, he fed them with angel food. He fed them with water. He fed them with an abundance of quail because they were lusting after what they had in Egypt and didn't even let their clothes wear out for 40 years. And they were totally disobedient. Or at least in the vast majority of the time they were. But he still did that. You know why? Because he loves us. He still loves us. He still wants the very best for us, even if we disobey. So what does the desert mean? It means God allowing you to get alone with him so that we realize we don't need things this world offers to the degree that we may think we do. We just need him, his word, and his provision, and obedience to him. And that will get us through. That's what we need. Now here's a kind of a confusing passage. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 says, talking about Jesus, though he was a son... Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, wait a minute. He was the Son of God, perfect in every respect. He was the perfect God manifest in the flesh. He was the perfect God-man. And yet, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. I kind of wonder if some of the things he suffered was putting up with his disciples. I kind of believe it had something to do with that because in the Gospels I've read several places where he had to rebuke them from time to time. One was for their unbelief and spoke rather pointedly in some other places to his own disciples. So he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Number three, 
learning humility and how to walk in it is a lifelong process. It's a good thing when you and I can look back at our life in a, at a previous time, a few months, a few years, whatever, and see some spiritual progress. Seeing that some things that kind of threw you for a curve at that point is not doing it today. You're handling it much better today. That's indicative of spiritual growth. You've made some progress. But I suspect that in this life, we're always going to have to deal with this problem. Pride, self-sufficiency, I can do anything mentality. God loves me so much that he will disregard my rebellion. No, he won't. God takes rebellion seriously and deals with it appropriately. So, humility is something we need to learn. Philippians chapter 2, 12 to 15 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out or cultivate your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. Now this next verse, look at this. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the plan for the church, the body of Christ. To cultivate our great salvation. Now, so well, I thought we didn't get our salvation by works. You don't. You get your salvation by the gift of faith and grace from God. But it does need it to be cultivated by obedience. Just like you would plant a garden if you just plant the garden and walk off. I guarantee you're not going to get much produce out of it. It has to be cultivated to get maximum benefit. Our salvation that has been given to us needs to be cultivated by obedience to God. And if we do that, there are many, many benefits that can be seen in our life. We are cultivating it. For it is God who has worked in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. And now I quit preaching and go to meddling where it says, Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault. You know what the scripture says in James? Before we get to the scripture about calling the elders of the church and anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, a few verses before that, it talks about confessing, or a few verses afterward, the one I'm about to quote is, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. It didn't say confess your sins. You confess your sins to God. But here we're talking about faults, character flaws, things of that nature that someone can hold you accountable to. Confess your faults with one to another. Complaining, disputing, 
causing disturbance, whatever. That you may be healed and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And God does that. It's a lifelong process of learning what humility is and how you and I can walk with God to see the maximum humility, which is attaining the attitude of Jesus Christ in this lifetime. Say, so, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be humble. Well, if you do, you're going to have to go to school when you get there. No, I, I believe this is something that has to be worked in and through us in this life. Pride is not something we're going to have to deal with there. Pride arose at one point in eternity past and the fellow who had it got kicked out. So I don't think he's going to allow you and I to have any either. No, this is something for this life. Dealing with pride and arrogance and a haughty spirit, bad attitude, is something in this life that we have to deal with. So that God can use, release his power, and get glory, advance his kingdom today. Today. That's what God's after. That's what God's after. Now, you know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but when I think along these lines, I think, well, I know somebody that could purely uh, benefit from hearing that. Don't think that this morning. It won't be productive to think that way. Well, I wish so-and-so were here. They, they, that, this would really help them. No, I suggest that maybe we examine our own hearts. Find out, do we have a haughty spirit that if it's, if it's kept, it's going to bring forth a fall? Do we have pride that's going to lead to destruction? Are we guilty of complaining and disputing and causing all means of havoc in the family, at the workplace, or at the church? You know, examine ourselves in this. And if you do that, you know what the ground or what the foundation of all those things in those last few verses I read? It's pride. Pride is the foundation of all of that. It's pride. Sometimes our pride gets offended by things that people say and do. And when it does, we react negatively. Whereas somebody with a spirit of humility hardly pays any attention to it. Now, I just said a mouthful. So the invitation this morning is this. While the team comes back to play something softly. I want us to take inventory for just a minute. I'm not one who believes that I've always got to be looking for something wrong or bad. But I think there are times for self-examination to ensure that God can use us to the maximum. That we are where we need to be that would allow him to bless and use us to the maximum. I've had some experiences of this along the way. Let me tell you one while they're getting ready. 
I started preaching when I was 17 years old. I went in and told my pastor, I was in Bible college, I went in and told my pastor that I felt like God was calling me into the ministry. And he said, what makes you think that? So I told him. He said, okay, in two, two Wednesdays from now, you're going to preach at the church. And I said, what? He said, yeah, you're going to preach two Wednesdays from now. I said, well, I'm not sure I'm ready. He said, oh, yeah, you're ready. I wish he had told me a day or two before because now I had 14 days to be concerned about it. But anyway, I did. For over the next few months, I preached several times. And I was preach, uh, prepared to preach on a Sunday night at the church. And I figured, you know, I've preached enough now. I think I've just about figured this thing out. Mistake. Big mistake. I mean, I had my preparation. I had my notes. I was all ready. I had a few Billy Graham quotes and USA Today quotes. And, you know, I threw, I threw it in just like I heard most other people. I got up, opened my Bible, laid my notes opened my mouth, and there were no words. Nothing. I couldn't even remember my name. I knew I was standing in front of my home church. That's all I knew. I mean, I had memorized scripture. I had studied diligently. I should have been able to talk on almost any topic, but I couldn't say a thing. So I stood there with my mouth open. But I tell you, in my heart, I was in deep intercession. I said, God, forgive me for my arrogance. God, forgive me of my pride. God, forgive me of thinking I can do this apart from you, that I don't need you. God, I need you. I can't even speak if you don't open my mouth. It didn't take me long to pray that. You know, when you're serious, you can pray a lot in a few seconds. Suddenly, it all came back. Every time since then, every time since then, for 54 years, I have prayed before I get up to speak, teach a class or preach. Lord, let me preach today. Let me say today what you would say if you were in my shoes. If you don't show up, there's no need for me to get up there. I'm wasting time if I try to do any of this apart from you. And you know, God has never failed to show up. That's a good lesson to learn when you're 17 years old. Now, have you always done it perfectly? Absolutely not. I've thrown away a whole bunch of sermons that I never wanted to bring again because I didn't think it was the best that it could be. But I'm telling you, 
There's times we need to examine what's on the inside and deal with it so God can perfect and allow us to make progress with Him. Father,